Welcome to another edition of the Fringe Element here on 440 Sports. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Hi, Braden Gall. I'm Aaron Dugan. You can follow me at, on Twitter at, oh, I forgot, the Aaron Dugan and Instagram Aaron underscore. Hi, the Aaron Dugan. Thank you. We've got a big show planned for you guys today as we recap week seven, look ahead to week eight. Obviously, a ton to discuss with Alabama and Georgia, the big game of the weekend. We've got some issues in Auburn and Tennessee. Some congratulations need to be given to Kentucky. So we've got a big show planned with a bunch of really cool guests as well. We've got Seth Emerson from The Athletic to really dive into the Georgia quarterback situation. Gene Chizik, who is uniquely qualified to talk about what Gus Malzahn is going through as the head coach at Auburn. We're going to talk with him, of course, the former head coach of the Auburn Tigers. But Aaron, first of all, how was your weekend? It was very entertaining. To say the absolute least, I hung out with one of my really good friends who now lives in Atlanta with her husband. Him and his friends were all here. We watched the game together, half Georgia fans, half Alabama fans. And I talked last week about how it would be really interesting to watch the game with all those fans in a bar. But I didn't really need to be in a bar, apparently, because these cats were wild. So total... Shit show. Ka- I mean, absolute chaos. I. You'll hear. We're going to play some of it. Should we play some of it? I think we should. Well, here's well the, I secretly was recording. I was going to ask you about the secret part of the recording of your friends during uh, a drunken football game. I know the legal stipulations. Right. If that's what you're going to ask. Is it allowed? Only one party in the room has to know you're <laughs> filming, which makes, which is the stupidest law. Which because, is you? Which is me. Yeah. So. That's not the case in all states. I'm not going to give away their names and stuff, but. All right, so I guess we'll give everybody a little taste of what Aaron's weekend was all about. Prepare yourselves. Got it all! Got it! Oh! Rip his head off! Yeah! Super spreader! Super spreader! No, I can't play favor. Hey, stop cleaning! Yeah, what are you doing? I'm panicking, Jared! He's a super spreader. Saban's just gonna give everyone a little corona. It's a tiny just corona. A little, just a little, little, little bit. Just a little dab of corona. Oh, Matt Luke. Fat Luke. Matt Luke. Dude, he hasn't lost a pound. <laughs> the male man delivers. Stetson is kind of a bro. Come over here. Get over here, damn it! You need to suck it up. There was tradition there. I thought Alabama defense. There was tradition, pride, linebackers, big fat boys. I mean, fat boys are that. Chili! Chili, help me! Hey, act like you've been playing. Hate college football. Hate it all. Two me let down. I'm over it. I'm over it! Nailed it! Let's go! That puts us on the map. Typical, just the dogs off the hinges. Can't take him anywhere. <laughs> oh, Aaron, I have many questions for you. Okay. So many questions. Start shooting. I don't know where to start. Uh, I don't know where my favorite part is. My favorite part is so I, again, all the names will be changed to protect the innocent here, and we've got football to <laughs> talk not about. Innocent, but okay. Yeah, exactly. Please, by the way, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. <laughs> this is the kind of content you get on the Fringe Element. But also, these people in this in this particular in this particular cut of audio are the people we are doing doing the show for, which is people that care so deeply about their their teams in the SEC that that's what they sound like on Saturday nights. 
Uh, my question is, without, again, giving away any names, I think the the woman, your friend, the female, is the star of the show. I agree. Now, explain to her, explain oh, to everybody. No, I already agreed. Explain Dang. to somebody. Like, she is not, so she's clearly intoxicated in the video. 100%. So many, she's panicking, cleaning. Well, it's also her birthday. Oh, God. So. And, but does she, she's not a, normally a, a drinker, correct? Is that I mean, what? no, I mean, she, we used to go out and you know have a good time but she has no though she has kids now right she has a small child (laughs) (laughs) so he'll be well groomed by the time he grows up also one of my favorite lines very underrated in there where like a shot about matt luke is pretty good a lot about (laughs) dude hasn't lost a pound there's there's a you know the mailman always delivers is great you know typical college football so much great stuff in there one of my favorite lines is in the background the dude's wrestling with his dog yelling ah chili help me yeah that chili is his dog chili is this small dog <laughs> yes well and i'm let's go ahead and say that my friend how do i not say these names was tackling him so two my dudes friend, two dudes female. were wrestling no no no. Oh, no my friend the female the star of the show the star of the show <laughs> was tackling her other best guy friend and was tackling him to the ground and you'll hear her husband chime in and say act like you've been places because they're just (laughs) also another great line not like act like you've been here before no just just act like you've been anywhere honestly anywhere (laughs) it is 2020 none of us have been anywhere frankly uh your friends are fantastic aaron Uh, can you can you have a drunken secretly recorded piece of audio for the show every week please i can do my absolute doggone best oh gosh okay well i guess we need to talk about the georgia bulldogs and the alabama crimson tide in a in a real way um you never know what you're gonna get on this real you never know what you're gonna get on this show that's the whole point stay tuned subscribe rate review share it tell all your friends all that stuff my first question for you is and you you heard it there super (laughs) spreader um I, I, there is not one ounce of me that was surprised that Nick Saban got cleared. I know protocols got changed on Monday of last week for the test, but if any, there are coaches and players, dozens of them all across the country that are not getting tested out of protocols. Of course, Nick Saban is the one who did it. Were you surprised that he was on the sideline at all? Nope. If anyone's going to pull it off, it's going to be Saban. And, you know, I don't, I can't say anything about whether protocols were miraculously changed Um, but you're quarantining guys for two weeks no question and when they've been in contact with someone saving tested positive was on the field three days later so all those vandy players uh test out (laughs) were they allowed to i mean they might like to think they're smarter than saving but they're clearly not yeah they're just not as valuable unfortunately uh that's just reality uh i I will say this about the game I, i was in my happy place like and the and and you know no pants glass of whiskey I had a fire going I had the big screen on it, I was I was as happy as it gets watching that game and in part because it was the best football game I've seen from a talent and coaching perspective of any team of any league in any conference of the entire season I don't think Aaron outside of Clemson I don't think there's another team in college football that could have hung with either of those two teams that night maybe Florida Maybe Ohio State when they join. Maybe Penn State. I don't know. Oregon. I don't know. What I saw on Saturday night was two teams that are playoff worthy and among the best teams on their own tier in college football. We would have to really nitpick to come up with in it. You know, Georgia did struggle in the second half some, but we would have to really be nitpicking. And I would say that the game felt, although it looked like a blowout at the end, oops, although it looked like a blowout at the end, I'd say that you know, it really did come down to little things, inches, like uh, passes being Why do you got to take off. so many shots at Setson Bennett? Okay. 
He's a few inches short. I know. All right. <laughs> I wasn't That's trying to go there, but row. it happened on accident. I mean, things just going off the fingertips of players. Like I, I would, I would say that at times it even felt closer than it looked. Although at the end, obviously the tide really pulled ahead. But you're right. There's no better football that we have seen this season. I know you said Clemson. They're they're the only one that can hang in my mind, but. You know, it would be interesting to see these teams again. Which we probably will get. Which we probably will get. If you are correct and Georgia wins the East. I still have the Gators winning the East, but I, I, it's possible. I, I do think, and listen, we joked about Stetson Bennett, but that is the issue. We're going to spend a lot of time with Seth Emerson from The Athletic, who's covered Georgia forever, diving into exactly what's going on with Georgia right now, sort of immediately following the aftermath of losing to Bama. Because, again, here's a, an important note, and I mentioned this with Seth. They got ran out of the building against Auburn a couple of years ago, and then a couple of weeks later came back and beat Auburn with a totally different game plan because Kirby Smart and his, and his staff game plan for Auburn right away, like right after the loss. And I'm assuming they're doing that again for Alabama. My, my concern is they still the quarterback is going to limit the upside. And I know we joke about Stetson Bennett being too short, but Alabama clearly practiced getting their hands up to, to knock balls down. I think he had like six or seven passes deflected, three interceptions, a couple of sacks. Georgia looked like they had every piece capable of competing and beating the best teams in America, except for the quarterback. And I hate to do that because both Dewan Mathis and Stetson Bennett have great stories, backstories, you know, recovering from injury or the Juco story. It's what college football is all about. But it's hard not to imagine what either A, Jamie Newman would look like, or B, what JT Daniels could look like in this offense and what the upside for Georgia could be should one of those two players, should JT Daniels, I should say, eventually earn the starting job be healthy enough to to be on the field we talked last week about how I thought if Georgia could pull it off it would come down to capitalizing on turnovers and it it this game did have a lot to do with turnovers or the end result did but it wasn't in the it wasn't in the capacity we were talking about it was Georgia turning the ball over Alabama taking advantage of it and Saban even has talked about how he does this turnover chart every single week nationally shows his guys what the effects of turnovers look like and what that result is on the what that has what kind of result that has on the end of the game and he's really drilled that into their heads not only capitalizing but keeping from turning the ball over and that was the difference maker it wasn't the difference maker at Georgia winning it was a difference right. maker in Georgia losing what's interesting is that it also like that that's part of what made the game so great is it wasn't just two elite teams and two elite coaches and schemes. It was also big plays, big momentum swings. Georgia had the lead in the third quarter. Like those turnovers and those big plays for both teams, the Jalen Waddle play were huge plays. Uh, and again, I still think like I still think Georgia came away from that game. I'm, I still I'm think I think just as highly as George, of Georgia as I did going into that game. I know they you know, the fourth quarter wasn't as good, but for Georgia, but by and large, it looked like the two teams were fairly even outside of the one position, which again, we also have to talk about because Mac Jones and the offense for Alabama does look like the best in America. I still think Georgia's defense is the best in America, but Alabama num- and numbers wise, I-, I pulled up LSU just for, for fun. LSU last year, which is largely regarded as like the greatest team in the history of the world, 48.4 points per game. Pretty good. 7.89 yards per play. Alabama this year, keep in mind, all SEC opponents, conference only, 48.5 points per game, 8.3 yards per play. So more points per game and more yards per play than what many consider to be the greatest offense or greatest team ever assembled, potentially in LSU last year. I'm not saying that Alabama's better. I'm not saying that Mac Jones is better than Joe Burrow. 
But statistically, this Alabama offense is on pace with what LSU accomplished last year, and that's saying a lot. Mac Jones definitely knows what he's doing, and we talked about you know him coming in and people not necessarily having him at the very top of what could be Heisman con- contendership. That's a word. I don't know. I don't think it is, but you just you you said it with so much uh, confidence and gumption. If I had questioned myself, I could have pulled it off. Yeah, I think you would have. I think it would have worked. Just hey, own it. You know, you can cut that out. Um, Leave it in. <laughs> but he didn't have. He had was in a system that he knows well. He's extremely talented. For some reason, the expectation for him wasn't tip top peak high. But surprisingly enough. Um, and Stetson Bennett has all the pressure in the world as going into camp as a four-string guy. So it's just, it, it was it was so polarizing to watch those two have to go up against each other. And, um, you know, Alabama, we can give Alabama props on their defense turning it around since since they played Ole Miss because that was, they they patched a lot of things. Yeah, they, they did. And again, well, you'll hear a lot more conversation from Seth Emerson about the Georgia quarterback situation. And he's going to explain the Jamie Newman angle to all of this, that maybe if Jamie Newman was playing, we wouldn't be having these conversations right now. And again, I think one of my favorite lines from that interview with Seth coming up is, you know, Jamie Newman has the size that Stetson Bennett doesn't. He has the experience that Dewan Mathis doesn't. And he's got the athleticism and the health that JT Daniels doesn't. And that's sort of what Georgia was looking at with Jamie Newman during the summer. It is unfortunate that in a pandemic world, we're not going to see what that could have looked like. I'm not saying they would have beaten Alabama with him or won the national championship or whatever, but if I'm a Georgia fan, it's hard not to wonder what could it, what, you know, what if, right? Which is a terrible game to play in sports, but it could have been. Um, you noticed Nick Saban, like, was he getting soft? Did you, you said something about, you thought Nick Saban was getting soft? I, I, I heard, you guys can put this on Twitter. Aaron Dugan says Nick Saban is soft. No, I didn't say that, first okay. of all, but all right. he seemed to be a little emotional um, in the locker room after the game and you know, saving from, you know, a decade ago probably would not have been, but it got brought up in the press conference and he said that, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he made a comment about how he doesn't really get to see his guys rejoice in a win the way that he thinks that they should. Their expectations are so high for the program, from the fan base, from everyone in the media. And so winning doesn't come with the happiness I guess that it would for some teams um loss comes with disappointment and you don't really have the flip side of that so he seemed to be getting yeah I mean I won't say yeah he's soft introspective a little bit introspective for Saban so here's my problem with that it's it's an interesting observation by you my problem with that is that Nick Saban has created that at (laughs) Alabama he has created the ungodly although I will say this Alabama fans don't need any help with building expectations for their program but Nick Saban has done that by winning all of the things, and so for fa- like he builds the, the the do you do the you know trust your trust the process do your job like that's a Sab- that Saban has created all of that. His his first championship at Bama in 09, he held the trophy up and it like didn't even look he didn't even look happy about it. And coaches talk about this all the time. Everybody, Urban Meyer's talked about this that you just you, you carry losses so much more than you celebrate wins, and that's part of the job when you're getting paid nine million dollars to win games. Dabo Sweeney and his kids have fun all the time. I, I to me, this is a Saban thing. Like, if, if if you have that problem with your kids not celebrating wins enough, coach, do something about it because you're the one who's created this culture of this is the professional. Like, we are as close to professional as it gets while still being in college. That's a Saban thing. It's why he wins, but that's a Saban thing, in my opinion. It's a really hard balance to strike between you know, good coaches. You'll notice are able to get back to the middle. They 
they don't ever get too high. They don't ever get too low. They train their guys to be the same way. So that does come with a cost, I think. That ability to get back to the middle probably does cost them in terms of getting really hype after a game. And, but it also helps them not get super low after a loss. That doesn't happen to them very much. But, you know, maybe that's maybe that's part of that. I, I mean, I think it's 100% part of the recipe for six national championships or whatever for Nick Saban. I, I'm just not going to feel sorry for him when he's like, <laughs> oh, man, guys, we didn't. My team doesn't celebrate enough. I'm like, yeah, because you've you've drilled that out of them. Like, you're the one who's removed all the joy, coach. Fun sucker. You, yeah, he's a fun sucker. You gave him all the rings. That's all you, dude. You've made him better. You probably made him millions of dollars getting prepared for the NFL draft. But, like, you definitely took all the fun out of it, man. Lots of jewelry, well-dressed, but just sad. Yeah, sad. <laughs> sad, but very handsome. <laughs> That's Alabama's players. Uh, all right. Speaking of the middle, I think it's a great segue into a conversation about Kentucky football and Mark Stoops. They actually get a huge scheduling break. They were supposed to host Georgia this weekend. Instead, they play Missouri. So now they can actually build some momentum. Georgia gets a bye week to evaluate the quarterback. So it actually kind of worked out for everybody. Meanwhile, Tennessee, who got destroyed by Kentucky, has to play Alabama. More on that in a second. But what, what I think is interesting about Mark Stoops is, and Coach Gene Chizik also talked about this, those players will fall on the sword for, for Coach Stoops because they, they appreciate him. But what I like about him, and I've been around him a few times, he, he is not – he's sort of just a guy's guy. Like, he's not, he's not super flashy. He's not – you know, he doesn't get overreact like Will Muschamp on the sidelines. Like, he's actually pretty down the middle, I think. And I think he's the most undervalued commodity in the SEC by other SEC fans. I had a lot of Tennessee people texting me on Saturday during the game just losing their minds about how god-awful Kentucky is. And I wanted to be like, have you watched this team under Mark Stoops? They lost their quarterback last year and ran the option to eight wins. They went five and three in the SEC two years ago for the first time since the 70s at Kentucky. His win over Tennessee was his 46th, which makes him the second winningest coach in the history of Kentucky football behind only Bear Bryant. Josh Allen is a first-round draft pick and was a two-star recruit. He develops guys like crazy. I, I don't know what there isn't to like about Mark Stoops if you're a Kentucky fan. I don't think they're going to win SEC championships. But they're pretty good for Kentucky. Are people just not – maybe people just aren't used to Kentucky being decent at football? They're just such a basketball powerhouse that people, Tennessee fans can't really – you know, they wanted to mark that one on their schedule as a W every year, and since they can't, they're upset. It is far more about Tennessee fans projecting their own demons onto somebody else. <laughs> because you, cause the truth is Tennessee should, Tennessee should never be worse than Kentucky. Like, that's the issue. And right now Kentucky's better than Tennessee. They, even even though Tennessee beat them the last two years, Kentucky was the better team. And that's the problem. Tennessee fans need to come to grips with the fact that Kentucky's the better program right now. They don't have necessarily better players, but that's not where Tennessee should be, and I think that's part of the problem. Well, and they're extremely physical. They are gritty. They've got a chip on their shoulder. They, um, they played really well up front. They were good at creating pressure. Um, culture, culture, culture. Their time of possession in the second, well, especially in the second half was good. Um, and I also, just watching them, they did a good job on offense of keeping, of keeping Tennessee off balance. Um, you know, they switching back from the run game to throwing the ball and yeah, I mean, they just, they, they look solid. Here's a stat for you for, okay. I don't, I don't want to, I want to focus on Kentucky because okay. I want Kentucky to get the love. We got plenty of negative things to say about Tennessee. 
But Kentucky deserves some credit here. They, I want to make sure Mark Stoops gets the credit. And, and I think, again, first time since 1984 they've won in Neyland Stadium. But you know what? There's a lot of those on Mark Stoops' resume. You know, he ended the streak against Tennessee. He ended the streak against, you know, Florida. Like, he, he's done things at Kentucky that nobody else has been able to do. And he's done it with culture and buy-in and identity and all these cliches. And you saw that on Saturday against Tennessee. It was a line of scrimmage game. And the, the two pick sixes, that Tennessee couldn't come back from that. And Kentucky knew exactly what to do with it. They're also like a couple of plays away from being 5-0 and or 4-0. and They have been – little things have cost them – a lot record-wise. Should have beaten Ole Miss. Okay, fine. You shouldn't have beaten Auburn, but like you probably should be three and one right now. And you destroyed Tennessee. So uh, there, there is that. Bloodbath. All right. Anything else you'd like to add? Because I want to make sure we give enough positive talk to Kentucky before moving on to the negative talk about Tennessee and Auburn. Not besides, I'm with you on the Stoops thing. I think okay. he's great. Yeah. Jeremy Pruitt. He's already fired his defensive line coach. I don't know if that's a panic move or not. Do with that information what you will. It's certainly not a good thing for the program. I, my issue is, I want to say this, Jared Garantano played one of the worst games I've ever seen from him on Saturday, and that is important to note, and it's also hard to do considering his track record, but it's also not his fault that the program is where it is. It's Jeremy Pruitt's fault. It's the entire team's fault. It's Jim Chaney's fault. It's, you know, you can put a lot of people on the list. It's it, I don't like that we're hanging the entire thing because Auburn fans want to do this with Bo Nix too. They want to hang the entire thing on Bo Nix. I, I know we just got done talking about Georgia and Stetson Bennett and unfortunately Stetson Bennett's very good. He's just not elite enough to win a national title. Jared Garantano right now is low-hanging fruit for Tennessee fans and they are putting everything on him. He played terrible football on Saturday. Fine. He doesn't play defense. He doesn't coach defense and he doesn't recruit his replacement. Jeremy Pruitt recruits his replacement. So if he's so terrible, why isn't there a better option on the team? That is Jeremy Pruitt's fault. He even, to me, watching him play, he looks like he gets into situations that he's never been in before. Like, he's, he looks panicked to me at times. Um, and I think that has nothing to – I don't think that has everything to do with him. I think it has to do with the system that he's in, maybe the way practice looks. I don't know what the structure of it is. I know every single college football practice is very much structured down to the minute. But – he seems uncomfortable, and there's a reason for that, and he is not the only reason he's uncomfortable on the field. No, the, the offensive line was supposed to be the greatest thing in the history of offensive lines, and they have not had a sing signature moment against a good team. They ran the ball well against Missouri. Okay, all right. They were atrocious against Georgia and atrocious against Kentucky. So the offensive line, which is supposed to be the best part of the team, has not lived up to the hype. The defense – Knew that Kentucky wanted to run the ball in the second half. Couldn't get a stop. That's Jeremy Pruitt's area of expertise, so he fired his defensive line coach. Now Tennessee has a $4 million defensive line coach. Cool. Uh, again, I don't I don't know if Harrison Bailey's the answer. I, I don't know. He's a true freshman quarterback. He didn't look the part on Saturday, but that doesn't mean anything. What matters is what happens in practice and in meeting rooms. And my personal guess, I would say that if the answer was on the roster, he would have already been in the game by now. Absolutely. That's my feeling on the quarterback. And that JG still probably gives you the a best chance to win this year. If you if you're okay punting on this season and losing some some, some extra games and developing Harrison Bailey for the future because you think he's the guy, then fine, do that. But those are the two. To me, that's the decision that Jeremy Pruitt has. There's a lot of other things we can point to, like you said, and one of them to me, which maybe I just noticed stuff like this, which should be glaringly obvious from a discipline perspective, is unsportsmanlike conduct 
calls. Why You can't yeah. lay down and then kick someone in the crotch. You lack <laughs> discipline if you do that. So to me, that that potentially is a sign that there are, you know, just regulating your emotions kind of issues. Maybe we should be a little bit more back in the middle. Now, it wasn't as bad as Auburn, who actually was like fighting on the sidelines there for a second. It was not that bad. It wasn't that bad. So talk about regulating your emotions. Again, I think Auburn and Tennessee come out of this weekend feeling very similar. And Auburn's game this weekend is extremely important, whereas we know Tennessee's probably going to get beaten by Alabama this weekend coming up. Oh, here's my last stat I want to add for Tennessee. This is the 10th, and I put this out on Twitter on Saturday. This is the 10th time in two years and some change that Jeremy Pruitt has lost an SEC game by more than three touchdowns, and he's done it to six different teams. It's one thing to get destroyed by Alabama in a re- on a rebuilding team or Georgia on a rebuilding team or Florida. It's another thing to lose to Vanderbilt, Missouri, and Kentucky by more than three touchdowns, and he's done it to all of them as well now. That doesn't include a 26-point loss to West Virginia or BYU or Georgia State. That's not Just trying good, to depress people at this point. not a good stat. Good coaches don't get their asses kicked. I'm sorry. That much. And I, you're right. The Who they're getting their ass kicked by is is important. I tend to agree. All right, you want positive for Tennessee? Mm-hmm. They were pretty shitty last year at the start of the year, and they ended pretty well. That's there it. There you go. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, one and four, fire the coach, eight-game winning streak later. You don't seem super stoked about him right now. I, I th- actually think they can be okay. I think they can be fine. I don't think it's fair to hang the entire team's issues on a singular player, even though he did just play a terrible football game. I get that. He, there's just a lot of other stuff going on. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, again, 34-7 to 7 is not one player's fault. I'm sorry. That, that's not how football works. Uh, Auburn, on the other hand, again, the same kind of conversation here. This wasn't a blowout to South Carolina, but Bo Nix – didn't play particularly well. He threw three interceptions, much like Jared Garantano. The difference is, here's the difference. He is a second-year player as a true sophomore, and a new coordinator, Chad Morris, calling the plays. Like th- There are some other factors with Bo Nix that I don't think apply to Jared Garantano, whereas you need to you have to give Bo Nix a little bit more of a pass. But again, he, he you know he's not doing the job, but neither is Auburn. Auburn, frankly, could be 1-3 right now. They probably should be 1-3 with the Arkansas ending. They didn't play particularly well against Kentucky. Gene Chizik is going to join us later and is going to explain what it's like to be an Auburn fan right now and what's it, what it's like to be Gus Malzahn right now because he sort of has intimate knowledge of that. Uh, I, I, this Auburn team does not look like a good football team. It, Tennessee has had flashes. Auburn has not had those flashes, in my opinion. Gus Malzahn's on the chopping block, and I think everything has gone south because he's not wearing his vest anymore, which really upsets me. <laughs> so I think maybe he's having an identity crisis, both fashion-wise and as a coach. He's not calling the plays anymore. Maybe maybe that's the problem. Uh, the last time, was it like 1933? Yes. So yeah. that was in yeah. the midst of the Great Depression. I would argue that we're going through. They only win during times of Great Depression. Wow. That is... 2020's bleak. Deep, man. Okay, you've been... That's deep and dark. You've gotten dark Yikes. a couple times recently. <laughs> You're right. South Carolina. The last time South Carolina beat Auburn was 1933. That's a long time ago. Uh huh. Shy Smith really good. Will Muschamp nice win. Uh, defense made some big plays. Bo Nix turned the ball over. But t- to me, here's here's the debate about Auburn. It's more about Gus Malzahn, like you said. It, it sounds like you're on the the side of the the equation that says you know this could be it for Gus Malzahn if they continue to trend negatively. 
I would argue that Gus has also gone toe-to-toe and beaten Nick Saban more than anyone else in the league. He's beaten him, what, three times? Won the division twice? Beat him last year, by the way. So uh, Auburn has the quickest switch of any team in the country. Not the SEC, in the country. I think it is quarter-to-quarter with Auburn fans. And unfortunately, I think this is just what you sign up for as the Auburn head football coach because Alabama's in your state. To me, I don't think that this year should be – I don't necessarily think that he should be on the chopping block. I don't think this year should – it would be costly to me to make a decision based on 2020, especially when you do things like beat Alabama the year prior. I think you got to give it one more good go in a regular year with normal season and all of that before you make a – a decision because he's done some pretty incredible things there. If there was no quarterback and we thought the coordinator needed to be fired, I could I could see that being maybe pushing people towards wanting him gone this year. I'm with you. You have a, a very talented young quarterback who's going to be a junior next year in the second year of the system with Chad Morris calling the plays and a normal offseason to prepare. That I'm with you. I think that, that Gus Malzahn has earned the right to give it another shot next year. I, I think I would not. Again, I think Gus Malzahn's a pretty decent coach. Auburn fans probably don't feel that way right now. Well, you know, they're used to they're used to being good, and they're used to at least putting on a really good show and getting a bunch of wins under their belt. And this year may not go that way, but it, I don't. I think it would be to their detriment to make a decision based on this 2020 season, the weirdest one of life. Yeah. And pay attention to Gene Chizik's answer when he compares being an Auburn football fan to living life on social media. Just, It's a really intelligent answer. You'll hear from Coach Chizik coming up in just a little bit. You got some stuff you want to say about Arkansas and Sam Pittman. I'm a big fan. Who isn't right now? He... Their social media presence alone is fantastic. Their social media... Yeah, they're edgy and fun on social media. Um you know, he's giving a lot of props to his coordinators who also deserve it. They did a great job. Odom, uh, Bryles, and to me, just watching the way I've spent enough time around coaches and players to know what a real bond looks like and the way that someone speaks, the language that they use about their guys. It's not the guys, it's not the players, it's the kids. It's my boys, like just the way that he speaks about his guys has this feel of just, I mean, it. I hate to say love, it sounds cheesy, but F- like. Familial. Fami- yeah. Familial. Familial. There Parental. Um, there you go. And he's done a really good job of, you know, backing his guys, making sure that his culture's right, letting them, you know, speak out and stand up for what they believe in. And I think this year that makes even more of a difference than it ever has before because when a lot of teams have guys out, and, I'm, you know, I'm sure at this point probably every team has struggled with having a guy out due to sickness, and if not that, obviously injury. So there's inherently going to be some separation, especially in 2020 with everything going on with COVID. But these guys seem very much bonded together and I know that the coaching staff has something to do with it and he has an air of transparency like you what you see is what you get and that's something that you don't always get with coaches it's not just coach speak with him in a press conference it is um you know him showing gratitude just happy to be a part of the program you know my kids this my kids that um and 
it was just very reflective and he is one of those guys that allows himself to get excited and happy and it's it's fun to watch and he you can tell those guys are playing for him couple of thoughts here to piggyback off what you're saying about Sam Pittman. Number one, he, he may not be the answer long-term or win championships or whatever. And that, you know, we've always, we have all undervalued him as a commodity so far to date, four games in. He has done a, a remarkable job. It, you know, I, I'm willing to bet you that not, there's not, because his career path was so strange, offensive line coach to head coach without anybody thinking it was really the right move. I, I'm willing to bet you he's not going to take it for granted. I'm, I'm willing to bet you he appreciates the opportunity almost more than anybody. Lane Kiffin probably didn't appreciate any of his early opportunities in life, right? It, whether it's Oakland or Tennessee or USC, probably took it for granted being a, a coach's son like he was. I'm assuming Sam Pittman is going to capitalize on everything. It doesn't mean he's going to win. I don't know. They should be 3-1 and one right now because they basically beat Auburn and, and the refs stole that one from him. The other thing about this is, sure, you can – you need to give credit to Barry Odom on defense and Kendall Browse on offense for call for being excellent at what they are doing. And that may take away from what Sam Pittman has done. At the same time, you have to go to Sam Pittman and say, you are the guy who made all the smart decisions to hire those people. And right now I think Sam Pittman is part of the job is hiring great people. And Sam Pittman hired really good people. And right now it's hard to argue that he's not coach of the year in the sec, maybe coach of the year in the country. They were over 20. And now they should be three and one in the SEC. It's remarkable. CEOs don't have to be good at everything. They just have to know who to hire as, you know, the rest of the board. Um, uh, wait. What? Yeah, more. Yeah, I have one more thing. Okay. Um, take your time. <laughs> the he was also asked. I love watching the press conferences after. They're so telling to me. I normally watch all of them, which most people probably That's only very watch. nerdy of you. I know, super nerdy. Um. But he was asked if he was surprised about what his team's been able to do this year. And he said, well, no, like I thought we'd win them all, <laughs> which is so funny because he said it with an air of lightness. He also said, well, I was planning on getting seven picks, but we only got six. So darn. Right. But it's interesting because that's what you have. You have to have this insane mental capability as not only a coach, but a player to be able to do what these guys do because you have to actually believe that you can win every game and put on like these, the Bose noise canceling headphones of life at Sponsor all times. Show, yeah. That'd be great. Um, just to keep everything out. So it's just really interesting about where you have to be able to put yourself mentally, even if you're Arkansas starting this year when no one really thinks you're going to do much and being able to say, no, I thought we win every game. And part of me believes that he actually had to feel that way in order to make things happen. You have to, you always have to believe. I feel like I'm a Disney character right now, but because we always talk about Alabama can beat you just by standing on the sidelines, like you can lose to Alabama just by looking across the field during the national anthem, <laughs> because you don't believe you can beat them, mm -hmm. and that's what happens. And trying to create the opposite of that, especially in a program that was over twenty, like Arkansas, is no small accomplishment. And so I think again, I don't think it's even close. I think Coach of the Year in the SEC, it's Sam Pittman, and I I think it's again, I think nationally, I'm not sure who's better right now so um and as we kind of look at next week's schedule arkansas they're on a bye this week they don't have to worry about playing anybody um so they get some time off and and a chance to to regroup auburn and tennessee two teams we just talked about back on the field immediately tennessee of course playing bama good luck but auburn at ole miss lane kiffin we haven't you know of all the new coaches you know lane kiffin's not looking as hot as we thought a couple of weeks ago you know, I still think he's a solid hire, and I still want him in the league because he's fun to cover. 
<laughs> but that Auburn Ole Miss game is very real. <laughs> very real for, for everybody involved. Well, Lane's put some interesting things together on offense, especially after watching them against Alabama. So maybe he's still got some tricks he can pull out and keep us all entertained least how to get an Auburn coach fired by Lane Kiffin (laughs) listen Lane Kiffin has come up with a lot of unique ways to lose his job he's been fired before a national well sort of fired before a national championship game on a tarmac like lots of different ways he's Uh, special he he is a special and by the way did you see him tweeting at Arkansas like congratulations and stuff this week you talk about good Twitter game like Pittman's some of Pittman's stuff made it onto social media and Kiffin was like so glad we could help out <laughs> you know what I mean so like actually kind of making fun of himself so it was actually pretty good you might as well just own it and be funny at least I agree South Carolina LSU this week we're not going to talk a lot about this game but one of the reasons I want to bring it up is because I was watching A&M play Mississippi State and it was pretty like meh <laughs> right which is sort of what you want if you're a Texas A&M fan in a game like this where you need to handle your business and kind of keep just plugging along. You know, you pointed out this out before the show, the schedule sets up very nicely for Texas A&M. We had Chris Lowe on last week who said, make sure you pay attention to A&M. It was sort of so boring that we don't need to talk about it. But what's interesting about that is that I kept thinking about one thing, and this is going to tie it back into South Carolina LSU. I was watching that game and all I kept thinking was Texas A&M shut down Mike Leach, Kentucky shut down Mike Leach, Arkansas shut down Mike Leach, Bo Pelini and LSU, not so much. Alabama and Tennessee both shut down Missouri. LSU, not so much. So Texas A&M, welcome to the real college football world. When I watch one of your games, I think about how bad some other team is. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about was LSU, not A&M watching that game. I don't think any of us really realized what this year was going to look like for LSU. I don't think anyone could have imagined it, even even though we all knew the gaping holes that they had. It's it's, it's not, more severe than we could have imagined. Yeah, and you're not. right. That's a, that's a very interesting frame of reference that that's all you can think about. Right. I was watching A&M do good things, and I was going, oh, LSU, whoa. <laughs> like, that's all I was thinking. And so, again, LSU at home against South Carolina. I don't know what South Carolina is. That's a nice win over Auburn this weekend. But we're going to learn a lot about both programs, Will Muschamp, Coach O, LSU, this weekend with those two. It's not even an important football game, unfortunately. But, you know, it's something to keep an eye on because those coaches, Muschamp, we know, is fighting for his job. LSU, how how bad is it going to get in, in 2020 after a national championship? We shall see. Yep, we shall. All right, you want to get to uh, some of our guests? I would like that. Today on the show, got lots of really cool stuff for you guys. Uh, we're going to hear from Gene Chizik. From the SEC Network, of course, talking about what it's like to be a head coach on the hot seat at the Auburn, for the Auburn Tigers, as Gus Malzahn potentially is. He has a unique frame of reference on that. And coming up next, when we come back, you'll hear from Seth Emerson from The Athletic, who's going to give you a Ph.D. on the Georgia quarterback situation. Seth, first of all, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time here on Fringe Element and Number one, before we dive into a a lot of the stuff that's going on right now with the Georgia Bulldogs, I I do want to ask you just from a talent, from a a schematic standpoint, you tell me if I'm wrong. I saw two playoff teams doing battle in Tuscaloosa on Saturday evening. I I didn't see anything that, that told me otherwise. We'll get to the quarterback, but as far as the roster and the situation and the coaching staff for the Georgia Bulldogs in Alabama, is that a fair assessment of what you saw on Saturday night? Honestly, yeah, I, I think we're forgetting that Georgia was leading at halftime. <laughs> the way that 
Alabama pulled away in the second half and because that reinforced the concerns that people have about Stetson Bennett and Georgia's quarterback situation has what it has done. And I'm not sure this is wrong, by the way. What it has done, though, is it has said that, A, Georgia won't have the quarterback or the defense to stop Alabama when they play a second time that they have the defense. They, they do have a really good defense, but in this world of college football now, great offense beats great defense. And we saw that when Georgia's defense ran into LSU last year in the SEC championship. And we, we saw it this past Saturday night. Um, I, I think the upshot for Georgia is that this happened early enough in the season. Yep. They've got a bye week. If they want to take another look at quarterback, they've got six more games to as a defense say okay you know maybe we're not as good as we think maybe we need to change this around maybe we need to tweak this and does that mean that they'll be able to pull it off if and when they face Alabama again not necessarily but that's that's the upshot is that now they've got time they weren't just run out of the building and all their season goals were ended on Saturday night their their goals are still there well, and, and frankly, we've seen Kirby Smart and Georgia do it on quicker turnaround. They got run out of the building against Auburn a couple of years ago. Correct. At the end of the year and came right back with a totally different scheme, I guess, and handled Auburn with relative ease. So it's not like we haven't even seen this before from Kirby Smart. That's a, that's a good point. And I was thinking about this. I, I have this story in my book. Hey, I'm plugging my book. Thank you. <laughs> um, but in 2017, after that Auburn game, Kirby Smart returned home with his staff and said, we're going to play them in a few weeks. They're going to beat Alabama, and we're going to face them again in the SEC championship and do this right now while it's fresh rather than wait until the week of the SEC championship. And they did, and they came up with a lot of the plan that they put in place to then beat out, um, Auburn in that SEC championship. And so I wouldn't be surprised, if, especially with it being a sudden bye week, what, that they've spent the 24 to 48 hours after that Alabama game going over the film and doing exactly that to get ready. All right. We, I've, I've buttered you up long enough, Seth. Where, where is Loch Ness Monster? Where is Bigfoot? Where is JT Daniels? <laughs> he, he's on Georgia's sideline. Um, I've, I've, I've seen actually people saying, like, because uh, there's, no, there's not as much press at games this year and not as many, many fans, people have been asking, like, is, are they showing shots of him? And, and honestly, I'm, I'm looking out for him a lot. And his like body language on the sideline is pretty good. Like he, he seems like he's handling this well, which feeds into the idea. I think that he probably doesn't feel comfortable to play yet. He's officially cleared to play, but cleared to play and ready to play are, are two different things. And, you know, he, he, the other thing is he's been the number three quarterback. They, when do pregame warmups, it's been Mathis going second team. So, is JT Daniels is he not as good as Stetson Bennett or Dwan Mathis? No, I don't think that's true because Daniels was splitting first team reps with Jamie Newman when Jamie Newman was here. I just think that the closer they got to the season, the closer they got to the possibility of actually using him, the more he was kind of feeling the knee and saying, well, I just, you know, I don't know. It, it, he's not ready. And look, I think we've gotten conditioned to players being able to just return from ACLs very quickly these days, which is good. But 
you need to remember the timeline with JC, JT Daniels. He, he suffered the ACL last September 2019. Then in January, he had a cleanup procedure. Then the pandemic hits, and then he transfers to Georgia, which is all to say that he didn't have this continual rehab recovery process. And I, I think that probably had an impact too. So he's just not recovered as quickly as some other guys have. So is it fair to, to listen, I, I think this, the story of, of Stetson Bennett is what college football is all about. I, I think his, his path, which is very well documented, is, is sort of kind of the point to being a, a big-time college football fan. But, and he's good enough, and he's efficient enough, and productive enough that this offense can go with him, and they're going to win most games they play with him. The, the problem is it feels like he does limit their upside. So is this all just a plan to let, let's get through until JT Daniels is prepared? Or does Kirby Smart truly believe that Stetson Bennett gives them the best chance to win, not, not against Kentucky and Missouri and Tennessee, but against Florida, Alabama, and Clemson? You know, give Kirby Smart well, the truth serum. If it was about going with the guy just to get you through until Daniels was healthy, I think they then would have gone with Bennett from the start. Instead, they started Dwan Mathis, who was a redshirt freshman who was a year off of a brain cyst. So they, they were going with the guy they thought was the best guy. I think part of it is also that they like the dual threat part of it. And they, they were preparing for that with Jamie Newman all offseason. And then he opted out. JT Daniels doesn't give you that. But Juan Mattis and Stetson Bennett both do. So I think that's part of it, too. But at some point, yeah, you, you just – you need to pass. And, and Bennett has given them that. I mean, he had an 82-yard touchdown pass the other night, which was Georgia's longest pass play in seven years. But he also had three interceptions. And that's what we're talking about, and that's what we should be talking about. So, it look – it's not an easy choice. There's not, there's not a, you know, I'm, I'm, this is in a column that I think is posting by the time uh, you're hearing this. JT Daniels is not the just break glass and win national championship option. <laughs> you know, I mean, if he was, he would have been out there already. They're not like, they weren't throwing the first four games to fool Alabama into thinking they had him beat and then get to the SEC championship and, and spring, you know, here's our real quarterback, you know, on your, that kind of thing. I mean, they're not that diabolical. They had a quarterback. He opted out. And you want to go back further. They had another quarterback. He declared for the draft. That's why they're in the position they're in. It's, it's yeah. not complicated, really. Because, again, the answer to this question is probably a little bit of both because Stetson Bennett is limited. We, you know, Alabama clearly practiced getting their hands up at the line of scrimmage when, when being right. blocked, and, and it affected a lot of passing lanes. And that's going to be something that he's going to face the rest of the season should he be the starter. But the other part of the equation is just sort of how the offense is constructed. And this is something that Les Miles dealt with at LSU. It's something that Nick Saban dealt with pre-Kiffin at Alabama – Sort of the evolution process is something that was obviously heavily scrutinized all offseason. And while JT Daniels, in my opinion, just my opinion, is by far the best thrower of the football on the roster, he doesn't necessarily evolve the offense the way fans maybe want. So how much of it is the rest of the roster and the personnel and the scheme isn't necessarily designed to evolve or for JT Daniels, one or the other. You don't have a bunch of Jalen Waddles on the outside. You got some good players. Yeah. You know, the team, the team isn't really constructed to sling it all around and have that be the, the way the game is played. I don't know. Does that question make sense? No, it does. And, and you've got a point. They've, they've got 
they, they've got a lot of talent on offense, but with the amount of players that have left, like they have arguably five guards starting on the offensive line. You know, Jamari Sawyer at left tackle, really good. He's more naturally a guard. The the right tackle, Warren Lennon, maybe more of a tackle, but he's also a redshirt front. At, at, on the outside at receivers, they've got some really good players, but a guy like Dominic Blaylock really would have, I think, excelled in Munkin's offense, and he tore his ACL for a second time in the preseason. George Pickens has been bracketed a lot. There's been a lot of focus on him. Um, they haven't been able to get him the ball much. Kyrus Jackson was really good for three games, but then kind of disappeared in this last game. And Zamir White, he's just kind of looked ordinary as a tailback. And But they're still – they're still putting up a lot of points and yards this year. They're just not very consistent with it. And they, they haven't been able to get the run in the pass really good at the same time for an entire game other than the Auburn game. And the problem is you, you've, you've seen flickers of the run working really well, and you've seen flickers of the pass working really well, but, but not often at the same time. And I, I think that does speak to they, they don't really have their identity yet, and they are a little disjointed. Let's, let's leap ahead to the end of the year. I, I think Georgia will largely roll the ball out there and beat most everybody that they play, that, with a couple of exceptions, the Florida game and maybe an SEC championship game. T- take me through both situations. If they finish 8-2, and two, which in my opinion in a pandemic year is a pretty ridiculous accomplishment, even though Georgia fans expect more, they lose to Florida. They don't win the East. Take me through what the fan reaction is to that situation. And then take me through a second loss to Bama, whatever the record is. And, and, and again, they're sitting there in the SEC championship game with another East division title. And yet again, coming up short against Bama. What, what does the reaction of the fan base towards the coaching staff and the program feel and look like in, in those moments? Well, it depends on how it goes. And right now the, feeling is panic because of the quarterback situation and and the offense looks really good you turn that around but you just get outscored by Florida and or Alabama and both of those scenarios are a possibility like if if you lose a 44-41 shootout to Alabama but you win in that game like nine and one the the same scenario is basically the last couple of years where right. in the last couple meetings with with Alabama where it's like we were right there with them but we couldn't beat them it was different Saturday night because the final margin was 17 points it wasn't you know it didn't come down to a final play so there's this sense of oh we're, you know the, the margin's getting bigger if if it's Florida that gets them I, I think people are gonna be pretty upset maybe it will be soul searching because what's been accepted around here is that Georgia's going to rule the sec east and when, when florida was picked to win the east in the sec preseason vote i kind of laughed a little bit it's like look people i, I think you're kind of bored <laughs> like the the talent gap between georgia and florida is still considerable but if florida does beat them that means that they have been beaten by a team that they are more talented than they were you know LSU was rolling out Joe Burrow and basically half of the first and second round in last year's draft Alabama is Alabama and they were the team that beat them the previous two years but if they get beat by Florida then I think yeah you're looking around going what's wrong what are we doing wrong here yeah, and, and they, they, they had a very small bullseye to shoot for above Mark Richt in terms of recruiting and accomplishment, and it felt like Kirby Smart hit that bullseye early on. If you don't do it this year, again, there is an asterisk. I get it. Everything's got an asterisk. It's 2020, but it, it does feel like it would be different if, if Dan Mullen and Florida wins. Or if, This is one of those times, though, Seth. I look at the quarterback situation, I go, 
if, if this is a regular football season, Jamie Newman is out there running the, the RPOs and the zone read and all this other stuff. And maybe we're, we're having a totally different conversation right now. Exactly. He's, he's the guy. I mean, now why he opted out, did it really have to do with COVID concerns? Maybe, maybe not, but he did use it as the stated reason. And yeah, I mean, and this is what I, I'm putting in my column, Jamie Newman as height that Stetson Bennett lacks, the experience that Dwan Mathis lacks and the mobility and the health that JT Daniels lacks. He yeah. would have been the guy. And I don't know that that means they beat Alabama with him, but they lot better about their chances. Seth, always a pleasure, man. Again, check out the book, of course, Attack the Day. Everywhere you get your books, you can check them all over The Athletic as well. Pay for good journalism, folks. It's a no-brainer. Seth, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks, man. That was Seth Emerson of The Athletic. Again, check out the book, Attack the Day. Really interesting thoughts there and analysis from him on what Kirby Smart and, and Georgia did after the Auburn loss, before the quick turnaround and winning the Auburn game in the SEC championship uh, a couple of years ago, as well as lots of thoughts on the quarterback situation as well. The Jamie Newman comment is the one that stood out to me the most about you know being taller than Stetson Bennett, being more experienced than Dewan Mathis, and being more athletic and healthier than JT Daniels. And it does leave Georgia fans wondering what if. There's no question about that. So special thanks to Seth Emerson for joining us. Let's turn our attention to the Plains. Let's head down to Auburn. Gene Chiswick of the SEC Network, of course, and he knows very uniquely what it is like to be a head coach of the Auburn Tigers, have lots of success, and then have the fan base maybe turn on you. He will explain the psyche of the Auburn fans when we come back. We've got a lot of ball to talk today on the show, and, and I want to get into all of that. First, your thoughts on on Georgia and Alabama, on what you saw. I, I saw two teams that looked the part, that looked competitive, and looked fairly evenly matched. I think there's one glaring hole, of course, for the Georgia Bulldogs. How did you leave that game in terms of your perception of both Georgia and Alabama? Well, the first half was very much, Braden, what I had expected to see. Um, you know, it was that back and forth, you know, heavyweight bout, if you will. I saw two extremely talented teams, two very talented line of scrimmage teams, two teams that you could, without a doubt, put in a college football playoff conversation at minimum, because they do. They have the, they have the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. They've got the skilled athletes on the perimeter. And you saw him go at it. But, you know, the difference in, in the day was Mac Jones, as we all know. He seems to me, Braden, to get – he just gets better and better. And, and I'm just really – I'm extremely impressed with him uh, as a guy who has got a command presence with the offense. Um, and let's give a lot of credit to Sark. Uh, I, think, I think Steve's done a tremendous job of not only play calling, but designing plays to get his guys in the best possible positions for, for Mac to get him the ball. Uh, Najee Harris is becoming a war daddy. And that a lot of that goes, a lot of the credit goes to the offensive line as well. I feel like the last couple of weeks, you know, his big 230 pound body has been what you would expect it to be. I think he, you know, he's um, running with a, with a mentality an aggressive mentality, a line of scrimmage mentality. Uh, he's also got the great ability in the open field to, to be a dangerous receiver. We see him a lot on wheel routes just about every week coming down with, with balls, you know, over defenders. So he's got great hands. And then, you know, these wide receivers that Alabama has, 
I mean, let's be honest, they're, they're just ridiculous. I mean, you got two guys going over 160 yards in receptions. Come, you know, Devontae Smith and Waddle combined for 17 catches. And let me make this clear, they only had 20 targets. So do the math. And <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, and look, Georgia's got as good a people on the perimeter as you'll find anywhere in the country. Yeah. Uh, they got as good a pass rush. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it didn't matter. So, two, uh, hey, Georgia's not going to go away. This is an extremely talented team as well. Uh, they're well coached. Uh, you could see this rematch again, as everybody might imagine. But I don't, I don't think the game left any college football fan, of course, unless you're a Georgia fan, disappointed. But if you just love watching big boy football, I think you had to go away from that feeling really good about what you saw. Oh yeah, I was in my happy place, Coach. No, no pants, glass of whiskey. I, I was. I know you were working. I know you were working, <laughs> but I was in my happy place. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I got questions about Tennessee and and Arkansas and a lot of other stuff, but I do want to talk Auburn here, Coach. You, you are uniquely qualified to talk about sort of what Gus Malzahn is going through right now. Can you try to before we get into the team and and anything like that? Can you try to explain the the psyche of an Auburn fan to people because they they are unique I think in all of college football a premier program that can win national championships as you well know uh, but also the dynamic with Alabama in the state can you try to how would you explain the psyche of an of an Auburn football fan well let me say this having Alabama across the state the state is one of the most unique dynamics I mean think about it in short of when Florida years ago uh, had Florida State, Miami, and Florida, and they were all good. And it never seemed like they were all great at one time. Uh, you know, there was a point in time after we had won the national championship in 2010 that I think between Alabama and Auburn for three or four straight years, you know, this state had, you know, represented the national champion. So as you know, football is king here. Football is extremely important. And, you know, having Alabama across the state uh, as an Auburn fan, is a tough pill to swallow. You've got the best coach in the history of the game, and Auburn's fans feel like they're always trying to keep up. And, you know, I can give you the analogy of social media, and bear with me on this, because social media is tough on people because, and I tell my kids this all the time, it is the evil of comparison 24-7. I look on social media, boy, they're having fun. I look on social media, boy, you know, she's prettier than I am. I look in social media man, that guy's always got friends over. You know, there's always this comparison game and truly it's the root of all evil when you look at it. And, and, and you know, when, when people start always comparing themselves, that really doesn't pan out well. And, and because you always feel like somebody else has something better out there. Well, this is the continuous 24-7, 365 days a year comparison game. And let's just be honest. Um, Auburn has had, you know, their, their moments. And I think Gus has done a tremendous job here because let's be honest, is there anybody else in the league short of Hughes Freeze a couple of years ago that's given Nick a run for his money more than Gus has? Well, the answer is no. And the bottom line is, if you go back to last year, Auburn beat Alabama, okay? <laughs> but people have a short memory here. And, you know, it, it's, it's like anybody. These fans aren't any different. Um, it really is uh, what kind of what have you done for me lately? They're like all fans. There's a degree of knee-jerk reactions. And it's a tough place. And Gus is in a tough place right now. For all intents and purposes, you know, you could put an asterisk by one of the wins and they would be one and three right now. And, and that would be a tough pill to swallow. But they are two and two. Uh, Saturday's game didn't help the narrative at all. I think Bo Nix is, is, you know, taking a lot of heat. And Bo hasn't played perfect, but it's not just Bo Nix. And, and there's, there's other issues offensively. 
you know, and this is a team that's got a rebound. You've got one of the best defensive coordinators in college football in Kevin Steele, and they've got to all regroup. Uh, you know, there was times when the defense played well Saturday, and there's times when they didn't. And, you know, so, look, it's collectively an issue, but they got the pressure on them this week. They've got to beat Ole Miss. To me, this is a must-win game, you know, here in the small town of Auburn which I love. I love living here. I still live here. I never moved away. It comes with the territory. And, you know, there's people that are upset and there'll always be people that are upset. But the reality of it is, is we're in the first quarter of the year and well, the first third of the year. And, you know, we got to let this thing completely play out. Maybe things will get better. Maybe they won't. I don't know. Uh, But they need to fix some things offensively and get everybody on the same page. What you can't have is any sort of division in the team. Uh, we saw a little bit of that on the sideline where you had a little bit of looked like there was, you know, kind of a heated exchange there between a couple of players. But that's the coach's charge, right? The coach's charge is that you got to make sure that you're all in this thing together and that this, this team doesn't get divided. And that's the charge for Gus and, um, you know, everybody else, every other coach on the staff. So pressure's on. But, you know, let's be honest, Braden, at Auburn, the pressure's yeah. always on. Yeah, I I think you're right. It's it's the, I think the social media conversation comparison is really intelligent. And with Alabama and, and Auburn, it's your neighbor, it's the person next to you at church, it's your it's the person at, at dinner with you. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not like regional or or there's no separation there. It's it's all interwoven together, and that's what makes it so volatile. Uh, you mentioned Bo Nix, and and I'm with you. I think he is supremely talented, and and probably taking too much heat. Obviously, you made a couple of decisions uh, that maybe he'd like to have back on Saturday. You know, you're a defensive coach. You game plan for quarterbacks, all different types of quarterbacks. From a defensive coach's perspective, what would you be telling him that he needs to, you know, develop, work on? Like, what, what is it that, that I, I think he can be a, an elite level player in this league at some point in his career. So what, what is it that you would coach him from a defensive perspective to say, hey, here, here's what I'm seeing you're doing wrong, or, or maybe this could be a little bit better. What, what would you tell him? Well, Brad, let, let me start by saying this. I think Bo Nix, look, we're in the media, right? And one thing I know, because I've been on both the coaching side and the media side now for, you know, going on my fifth year. And, you know, we create narratives that aren't necessarily true. And, and we can create narratives because we see three things happening. And then all of a sudden, you know, I heard after the first game last year against Oregon that, you know, when Bo threw that touchdown to Seth uh, Williams there at the end to win the game, of course, that was a huge win. But Bo had already thrown two interceptions in that game. But when he threw that, that game-winning touchdown, there was a safety that could have picked that ball, probably should have picked the ball. Seth Williams made a great play. And should that have happened, Braden, yeah. that would have been the third pick of the game. And Auburn would have lost, okay? And it didn't happen. They were probably six inches away from that happening, and it didn't. And so the narrative after the game was, oh, my gosh, we have this, we have a savior at quarterback. This guy's going to be unbelievable. And we were six inches away from a completely different narrative. And I'm just being honest. And I think Bo's got a chance to be a really good quarterback, but I think that there's some unfair expectations out of him. He's still a young guy. Uh, He's played one year, and then he's now entered a new year with a pandemic, no offseason, no spring, and a new coordinator, okay? And and that is a new coordinator. It's not Gus's stuff, some of Gus's. This is all Chad Morris. And so, but, you know, I hear people around here talking about Heisman, and right now he's not a Heisman guy. I mean, I've been around Heisman guys. I mean, I've been around, I've had five first round quarterbacks on my football team, okay? And obviously they're all talented, but let me tell you what else they had. In more cases than none, they had some really great players around them too. 
and an offensive line that could do the job protecting them in for the most part. And so we've created this neck, this narrative that this guy is, is a Heisman worthy guy. And he's just a guy that's growing. And I go back and watch the Georgia game. The offensive line had a lot of issues. I mean, Georgia's simply running four guys on a four-man rush, but they're being creative with how they do it. But guys are running free in Bo Nix's face, so he's scrambling out of the pocket. He doesn't even have a chance to stay in there. So, you know, so that happens. Then all of a sudden, now you turn around a couple of weeks later, the offensive line's made some improvement. They're protecting. You know, he gets back there. He feels a little bit jittery. You know, you ask, what do I see from a defensive perspective? I see a combination of things. Sometimes I see push in his face where he really needs to get out of the pocket. And I, sometimes I see a clean pocket and he feels a little jittery and he doesn't need to get out of the pocket. Yeah. And if anything, he needs to stay in there longer because here's what I've noticed. When he gets out of the pocket, if he ends up keeping the football, then it's normally a positive play. If he ends up having to throw the football, he either throws across his body, throws off his back foot, lost the ball up, and now you put the ball in harm's way. So, you know, look, everybody's got to protect better. He's got to have more trust in his offensive line. And, hey, let me be honest. The receiver's got to get separation on, on dudes too. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's a collective problem. Not all of Bo Nix's, but Bo's got some things he's got to fix as well. And so, as usual, it's not nearly as good as it seems when you think he played great, and it's not as bad as it seems when you think he played poorly. You know, quit with that rational logic, coach. I don't like that stuff here. We we just we're just gonna <laughs> scream hot takes at each other. Uh, Tennessee, you know, you know, certainly not a good showing against Kentucky. I do think that, and I don't understand this. I think SEC fans across the league universally underrate the job Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky. The, the level of consistency with which they play on defense, the development of players you know, how tough and, and sort of the culture and the identity that they've bought into. So one half of this equation needs to be credit to Kentucky. The other half of the equation is this is now 10 times in two years and some change that Jeremy Pruitt has gotten beaten in an SEC game by more than three touchdowns. He's fired his defensive line coach. He's going to coach the D line now. You know, they've acquired talent. They went on the eight game winning streak. There was a lot of positives there, but after the last four, six quarters, Tennessee fans are now right back where they've started what did you make of what you saw from Tennessee? And what does it mean big picture for both Kentucky and Tennessee long-term? Did, did you learn anything on Saturday that teaches you something about both programs long-term? Well, I, nothing, nothing that, that teaches me anything about Kentucky, because I've been saying this for two years on air. Mark Stoops has done one of the best coaching jobs in America. And let's be honest, it's a basketball school and he's turning it into having a football flavor. And he's done it with good situations. He's done it with bad situations. Let's go back to last year when they lost their quarterbacks. <laughs> I know. And, you know, he takes a wide receiver and puts him in there. And, and you know, eight, eight wins later and rushing for 400 yards in, in some games. I mean, the guy's winning, winning games. And then, you know, two years ago, he loses his defensive coordinator, the Kansas City Chiefs. And it was the first time I saw an incredible improvement on the defense. And then he elevates Brad White and the defense is better. Um, you know, and, and look, a lot of this is that those players will jump on the sword for Mark Stoops. I mean, let's just be honest. They love him. He's honest. He's transparent. You know, he's, they've bought into the mentality of a line of scrimmage team and, 
Nobody's going to out physical us. You know, look, they're about four plays away from being undefeated this year. I mean, it was a, it, they imploded against Auburn with some penalties, a, a bad fake punt, you know, a turnover going into the red zone, things you don't typically see. I mean, they're literally four or five plays away from being undefeated. And then you got a completely different narrative with Kentucky. I've loved what Eddie Grant has done. I've loved what Brad White has done. I love the recruiting. More than anything, Braden, I love the development. Yep. These guys you've never heard of when they recruited them, you know, and, and so who, who, who heard of Josh Allen five years ago? Okay. And, and what was he a top five pick in the draft? I mean, so he develops players and it's just, it's incredible. The players are all in, I mean, running backs every week. I mean, okay. Cavassier smokes out. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Well, Chris Rodriguez comes in and runs for almost six yards of carry. Oh, well, let's not forget about A.J. Rose. When he comes in, he runs for six yards of carry. I mean, somebody new every week. And Terry Wilson quietly is being very efficient through a great fade ball to Allen Daly down in the, in, in the red area. I think it was third or fourth down where he threw it down there. Beautiful thrown ball. His stats don't pop out, but he was 12 for 15. Do the math. Yep. You know, so, and, and when you need him on the run game, he can, he can run the football. So that's Tennessee. I'm not shocked. Um, I think he's one of the most underrated, if not the underrated coach in the country. Jeremy Pruitt's got his work cut out for him. And, you know, everything starts with quarterback play, we know. You know, up to this point, Jeremy uh, Garantano, you know, Jared Garantano, he protected the football. You know, Saturday, two pick sixes later. And, I mean, you know, those throws were on him, Braden. I, I mean, uh, they were on him. And, look, I, I'll be the first to tell you, when I see it, uh, if there's pressure in his face, if there's, you know, some great play by the DB or, or the linebacker or whatever, but these were balls that should not have been thrown by prox the first pick six by proximity of the DB. There was too much air, too much time for him to break on the ball uh, in too dangerous part of the field. It was a wide side field outcut where you had, you better have, you know, an arm that, that's just a cannon. Uh, and the DB was in proximity where, you know, he could pick it. And when you pick those, it's going the other way. It's touchdown. The other one, there was a linebacker literally sitting in the window. Yeah. Um, you know, the quarterback has to see that, and he throws a pick six there. So I think he gives them the best chance to win. But you know what? Let's be honest. I don't, I'm not at practice. I'm not at the meetings. I have no idea. You know, they threw in J.T. Shrout, one play, one interception. You know, you sit behind meetings. We talk in the media like we know what, what ought to happen at the quarterback spot. But, you know, what if you're sitting in meetings with these guys and, you know, one of the quarterbacks that we think ought to play is completely clueless. He doesn't understand the pass game. He <laughs> makes bad decisions at practice. Yeah. You know, we only know what we think. Now, sometimes it's so bad at quarterback that anything would be uh, worth trying. Uh, but I don't think you're there yet. I think Garantano gives him the best chance to win. But right now, that's, that's, the, that's the point for Tennessee because I still think Eric Gray and Ty Chandler are two. I mean, Eric Gray had, you know, 128 yards rushing the other day. So, yeah. you know, I still think they've got talented guys. they got some receivers that are making plays. I still think the defense has been solid. 14 of those points. I mean, the defense gave up 20 points. I mean, they gave up 34. They gave up 20. And I saw them fight down to the end against Georgia. You know, there was a minute left in the third quarter, and I think it was 23-21. And so – you know, I think that the defense is solid, but the quarterback scenario is, is what they got to figure out. 
Hey, Coach, I could ask you four, 46 more questions, so I do appreciate your time. Always a pleasure talking with you, man. And uh, enjoy Acre down there. You know, make sure you go get some, you know, get, get, go swing by Hamilton's, go swing by, you know, get, just remind me of all the good stuff that's down there at Auburn, okay? Hey, Brayden, I want to tell you this. Bow and arrow, my friend. Hit the okay. bow and arrow right. when you're in town. <laughs> all right, will do. Always a pleasure, Coach. Thanks, man. See you, buddy. want to say special thanks to Seth Emerson of The Athletic, Gene Chizik of SEC Network for joining us today on the show. We do appreciate that. And uh, obviously, check out all their good stuff. Attack of the Day is the book there for, for Seth Emerson, so check that out. Aaron, uh, quite an interesting week. Oh, God. Not a, lot of, not a ton of action this week in the SEC. One, one, probably the worst week of play coming up. I, I don't know if Bama, Tennessee is interesting. Again, Auburn Ole Miss is maybe the most interesting game. Kentucky-Mizzou, just to see what what Connor Basilak looks like against Mark Stoops defense. That's interesting. So on top of the <laughs> re- secret recording of your drunken friends. Yes. How, did you get the undercarriage fixed this weekend? No, I, <laughs> I tried to go and replace the undercarriage with a new one slash a new car. Yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. Explain and, that. um, I, was very caught off guard because at the end of it, I was looking at a certain type of car. They didn't have the model or the color that I wanted. So I was waiting on, he said, the guy that's selling me the car trying to what, said that he was going to call me when. What color did you want? Black with brown interior. Okay. Well, that's a nice combo. Um, very classy. Thank you. I'm a classy lady. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, I mean, I told him what was wrong with the current undercarriage. And at the end he, you know, tried to sell me this car and, uh, he was like, we don't have that exact version in right now, um, so I'll let you know. And then five can minutes. Can I call you? Can I? But then like five minutes later, he's like, so can I call you? And I was like, yeah, when the new model gets in. He's like, no, to get a drink. Ooh. And I was like. That's kind of a sneaky move by him, actually. I feel like it was, too, because but I'm like not, a, In a good way or a bad way? Like, did I want to go on a date with him? No, 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 no. Forget like your actual feelings about the guy. I mean, <laughs> do you give him credit for the move? It depends on how expensive my car is going to be. <laughs> how big of a discount are you giving me, bro? I'm just then kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I won't wow. do that. I won't. That, I have. I am classier than that. That is very but I was superficial very, of you. Very, very caught off guard. Uh, normally, I'm not clueless, but was there any vibes at all? Like no vibing from your perspective? Uh, I didn't think so. He was very obviously. He did. Well, right? I guess, but I, I didn't know what was happening until it had already happened. So he he asks essentially if you can if he can take you out for cocktails. Well, because he already had my number, I wrote it on a piece of paper. So he already had it. So so okay, how about this? I'll make the case for this poor sap. At least he was asking permission to use the number in a personal way, right? Because he could have not done that, which would have been really sleazy, right? In that, theory, right? That, yeah, that would have been weird. But I mean, he at least he asked. Yeah. And you said. I How honestly did, don't say? know. <laughs> like, you blacked out? I was just like, Have you not been asked wait, out in a while? What? And he's like, for a drink. And I was like, oh. I probably just casually said, yeah. Like, what am I going to be like? No. So now you're going to, so now we have something to track. No, I'm not going to Car dealer do it. guy. Yeah, but he's going to reach out to you now because you said maybe yes. <sighs> right? I didn't know what to do. I panicked. He'll wait a couple of days probably. If, if I don't know how the game is played these days. I've been married for like whatever. It's too long for me. I don't know. He but seems to be pretty blunt, so. So sure we could be getting. We, so next week on the show, we'll have an update on whether or not car dealer guy who's trying to fix your undercarriage has reached out to have a drink with you. Yeah, and he also asked what I did, and I did mention that on a podcast. So I hope he doesn't find this. 
Rate, review, and subscribe our podcast, by the way. <laughs> I hate everything. Next week on the show, we'll have lots more to react to from a college football perspective, and we'll find out what happens in as the undercarriage gets replaced on the show. God. How's the car doing, though, by the way? Terrible. It's not running well. <laughs> so bad. That's why I really needed a new car, and I just... Maybe it's worth taking one for the team here then. Like, go out and have, have a cocktail with this guy. Maybe it'll get your car fixed sooner. Or a new car shows up faster and maybe at a better price. It's not beneath you. <laughs> okay. You can't talk about me being a shitty human. I'm supposed to do that myself. I don't think it makes you a shitty human. I think it makes you... Tactical? Tactful? Yeah. Why can't I use Strate- words anymore? Strategic, maybe. I mean, again, it's not the best use of a moral compass, but it's not terrible. Well, you got to get good deals for yourself, man. It's his moral compass, too, because he knows that I need a new car, and he's maybe he's taking advantage of me. I don't think he was thinking with his moral compass, but that's just my opinion. Okay. Got to go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Seth Emerson, Gene Chizik. We'll be back next week. Make sure you share it and tell all your friends. Rate, review, and subscribe. Fringe Element. Please tell everybody. Have I mentioned that you should tell everybody and rate and review and subscribe? You have mentioned that. Okay. Follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Aaron Dugan, you can follow her at the Aaron Dugan or at Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy week eight of SEC football, everybody. Typical, just the dogs off the hinges. Can't take them anywhere. <laughs>